The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning here in California. Good evening and good night and good day and to all of you uh, listening from uh, around the globe. And uh, I am very deeply appreciative that people from so many different places, near and far, interested enough in this mindfulness meditation to come take this course. So thank you. And um, so the um, I want to emphasize right from the start that mindfulness is meant to be a very simple practice. And sometimes the way the instructions are given, the way I give the instructions, can seem like a lot of technique, a lot of um, doing that you're supposed to do. Pay attention to breathing, to the body, to emotions, to thoughts. And then, um, and then for emotions, there's the raft that I taught. Recognize, allow, feel, and tease apart. And, uh, and so it seems like a lot. But uh, there's two ways of understanding mindfulness instructions. One is that it is, um, um, uh, is that it's um, a prescription of what you do. And so you learn the technique, you learn the prescription, and you apply it. And uh, the other is if you um, uh, take it as a description of what you will be aware of if you relax and start really open up, open up your awareness to what's happening here in the present moment. If we're not interfering with uh, reality, if we're not thinking a lot and judging a lot and fantasy a lot and commentary a lot, uh, which is a kind of a selective use of our attention. But if we relax and open up the awareness and get centered in the present, then over time, our awareness will begin noticing what is obvious in the present moment, what is most compelling or predominant. <clears throat> and um, if you're sitting quietly, <clears throat> then you'll probably start noticing your breathing. You'll notice your body. You'll notice... Um, uh, it, you'll notice uh, your emotions and feelings. You'll notice what goes on in the mind. Not necessarily as a technique, like now you do this, but this is what reveals itself to you. And what, and so what you open up to and what you settle with. <clears throat> and um, so whether it's a prescription or a description, what I'm talking about, uh, varies from day to day, from moment to moment, from, you know, as you're practicing. But the descriptive side points to the fact of being relaxed and receptive and, and not have a big agenda, not try too much. The, the, the idea of just doing this as a description of kind of just noticing what's here can sometimes lead to complacency, a little bit too, not making enough effort. The prescriptive approach, where you actually apply yourself to a technique, can keep a little more energy going and a little bit more brightness of the mind. And how you n navigate that between uh, calming of the mind but keep, and keeping it bright, <clears throat> whether you apply yourself a little bit <clears throat> or whether you just open up and receive what's happening, that's kind of the art of meditation that we, you learn <clears throat> over time. Trial and error, you just learn over time the balance. But it is looking for that balance. <clears throat> Some people are predisposed to techniques, to doing, they enjoy it, it works well for them. Some people are predisposed that way and it just leads to stress and tripping over themselves and trying too hard. Some people are predisposed to just being relaxed at ease and receptive and uh, sometimes they end up falling asleep and sometimes they uh, just works really well for them and just, you know, it's the undoing of all the doing of their day and they just feel so good just to settle and not do anything but be brightly aware. So we're talking about um, thinking yesterday and today, mindfulness of thinking. And, um, and you don't have to go looking for thinking or make this a technique. But sooner or later, thinking will become clear that you're thinking, predominant. You'll notice you're lost in thought. And um, at that point, 
you have to decide whether you're doing the more prescriptive approach with it or the more descriptive, meaning more just, oh, this is what's happening. And just recognize that what's happening and maybe let go and come back to your breathing. Or a little bit more prescriptive, meaning that, oh, I keep getting lost in thought. There's a lot of thinking going on here. Let me look at this more carefully. Let me apply myself to it. Let me look and feel the physicality of thinking. What does it feel like physically? And as I said before, that uh, yesterday is that uh, the more strongly we're thinking, more likely there'll be some physical component part of it. You might be interested to ask yourself, well, what's the emotion connected to the thought? And then you maybe discover that. And so that's a little bit more prescriptive. You're asking yourself a question. What's going on here? What's going on here? To see more clearly. Or you just settle back to just notice what's here. And as you notice and just open up, you see, well, it's thinking. And yes, there are feelings connected to it. Yes, there are body sensations. They just get revealed. So how you navigate this is up to you. Now, in terms of thinking, um, the... um, um, you know, I think part of living a wise life is to become wise about our thinking, wise about our relationship to thinking, wise about the role that thinking has in our life. Uh, not necessarily the content of our thoughts, but rather uh, uh, kind of the default ways in which we relate to thinking and believe thinking and prioritize thinking or not, all these things. And uh, to become wise by it, for it. And one of the interesting things I saw uh, in the news today is from a study from uh, Stanford Medical uh, School. And uh, uh, they have uh, done some clinical studies. And uh, from their uh, preliminary studies, they're going to open it up to a wider group now, they've discovered that one of the most, the most effective way, t- uh, therapeutic way that anybody's ever recorded before for dealing with depression is to uh, is for to quiet people's thinking, to somehow have thinking slow down a little bit and become quieter, and that makes sense if you uh, think that part of what depression is, is um, is uh, how we the rumination that we have, how we self talk that we do, and some of that self talk not only is um, you know very negative and discouraging and undermines us in and of itself. So if we do less of it where there's less undermining. But also, it might also have to do with the speed and the activity of thinking, that if there's too much thinking going on, it's exhausting. It's very tiring. And I've known many people, meditators, who have started, people started to meditate, and one of the first dis- discoveries they had was how weary they, they are. Deep, deep weariness. Not ordinary tiredness. Maybe they had a good night's sleep. But a deep weariness from the onslaught, the engagement, the searching, the doing of thinking and thinking and, you know, all the time. And so this slowing thinking down or quieting is one of the approaches to begin meditation practice. So rather than thinking you have to get rid of your thoughts, so it's all or nothing, let go of them or um, think or don't think, um, one of the ways of thinking about meditation, it is a way to allow the thinking to quiet, to become um, softer, to become slower. And also what we'll start noticing if you meditate is thinking starts becoming um, thinner and thinner, lighter and lighter, until at some point thoughts pass through the mind like a cloud passing through an empty sky. It has no more weight or substance than a cloud, probably less. It's just very transparent and thin, and there's no tendency to get onto the cloud or the, the boat or clutch onto it. it. It doesn't have any weight. It's not a burden, what's being thought about. It's just kind of like it floats by. It's there, and, and it floats away. It just comes and goes. And this idea of thinking becoming thinner and thinner, lighter and lighter, I think for the people who haven't meditated, it's a st- kind of strange idea. But what I'm trying to point to is that um, what we... What we call thinking uh, is variable. We can think in different ways, and thinking can change, and and it, we're not stuck thinking the way we're always thinking. And our relationship to thinking can start changing as well. 
we can stop investing so much importance in it and hanging on to every thought or every thought pushes us around, we can start leaving thoughts alone and let them be, let them float away. So uh, let's do a little meditation around thinking, around meditating, you know, I'll do some guided exercises around thinking to give you a little bit more sense of what we're exploring in thinking and and um, and what the potential is of meditation with thinking and maybe even the potential of becoming wiser with your thoughts. So, if you can um, put yourself in a nice meditative posture, a posture that expresses both alertness and relaxation. And so first we want to spend a little bit of time relaxing. There's a, there's a correlation between having a tense body, tense mind, and squeezing out thoughts. Tension tends to speed up and strengthen the power of thinking. And so to begin by softening, relaxing your body. And so as you relax the parts of your body that are easy to relax, you might also, if you can at the same time, see if you can quiet your thinking a little bit. Rather than letting it go, quiet your thinking quiet whatever thoughts you have about what you're relaxing. So you might relax the muscles of your face, soften in the face. Perhaps softening in the eyes. Especially if you find yourself using your eyes even when they're closed. to look and see and stare and to relax and soften around your shoulders, shoulder blade area. Maybe if just a little bit you pull in your spine between your shoulder blades, maybe it allows you to relax the shoulders a bit more. And then to soften in the chest, the area of the heart and the solar plexus. Maybe as you exhale, softening the diaphragm, chest. Maybe as you exhale, releasing a little bit more at the end of the exhale. So you exhale a little longer and a little bit more softening, relaxing in the chest. And then feeling the belly and relaxing the belly. Again, maybe at the end of the exhale, relaxing the belly a teeny bit more Maybe for a moment you breathe out longer and there's a little bit more softening in the belly. And then to bring your attention to that part of your body where you, that you most associate with thinking. perhaps behind the forehead, behind the eyes, in the middle of the skull, but it could be anywhere. And take a few moments to feel the part of your body that where thinking resides or the energy of thinking is found. And 
And then as you exhale, perhaps you can relax the thinking muscle. Soften the energy of thinking. And then notice your thinking. Notice a little bit the energy of thinking, how fast or slow you're thinking, how strongly you're pulled towards thinking and involved with it, or how well you can sit back and just watch it. In whatever way that you might be thinking, words or images, see if you could slow it down just a little bit, like a little bit quieter, like you've walked into a library and you soften, quiet your voice. Gently quieting your thinking maybe noticing or allowing for a little bit of space between one thought and the next. Generally, the tendency is that if the thinking quiets, slows down, there's more capacity for mindfulness, for awareness. Especially kind of silent awareness that senses and feels what's happening. And so you might bring your attention to that part of the body where you, it's easiest to feel your breathing, the body breathing and feel that part of your body. And ride the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out as it's experienced in the body. And then as an exercise to discover more about thinking, you might again now become aware of yourself thinking. Sometimes thinking is shy and disappears if you bring that kind of attention to it. That's okay. But you'll think again.
and very kind of light with a light touch without a lot of expectations or ideas of right and wrong. Notice, if you can, the relative strength of your thinking. Is your thinking quite loud and strong and almost like it's demanding attention? Or it's or is it quiet and soft and drifting by or anything in between? Is there a mood associated with your thinking? Almost like a tone of voice. Like you're listening to yourself. If you're listening to yourself and or listening to another person's voice. What kind of voice is it? Or what kind of picture is it? Is there a harshness to your voice or a gentleness? Is there an insistence or an easy with your inner voice, your inner picture images? If you heard someone speaking the way that you might be talking to yourself, maybe even hearing them in a foreign language. What's the mood or tone of voice? Or if you think in images, is there a mood music like for a movie that kind of goes along with the images? Is there any physical tension associated with your thinking? It might be very subtle pressure or tension, a subtle agitation. See if you can relax that tension, soften. And perhaps there's a way that you can step away from your thinking, letting it float away, and then come back to your breathing.
And if there's any tendency to think, think about the breathing in a soft way. Perhaps with a simple thought of in as you breathe in, out as you breathe out, rising, falling. And if you use those mental notes, see if you can use them with a soft, quiet thinking mind. Almost as if the very saying of the word has a calming influence on you. And is there any predominant mood or emotional state that you have sitting here? And if you notice any mood, emotional state, use a mental note or a very simple sentence or phrase in your mind to clearly recognize it. But maybe the very voice in which you do the recognition is a calming voice, a reassuring voice. And then beginning again with your breathing. And then in the last few minutes of this sitting, if you would like, you can see if you can just relax one more time, relax your awareness, and just be open to whatever comes into awareness. You don't need to prioritize breathing. 
and just notice. And maybe the mental notes are notes of description of what arises in the present moment. Could be sounds, sensations in the body, could be breathing, it could be thoughts, it could be emotions. Keep kind of settling back, opening up, allowing things just to show themselves to you. Being careful not to get reactive or involved or thinking about what's happening. Rather, just be receptive to whatever way things arise in awareness. And when I ring the bell to end this meditation, listen to the three three bell rings. But watch your mind. Notice if there are any changing changes in how you think. The strength of thoughts, the speed of thoughts, your involvement with thoughts, how they take over. Notice how things shift with the end of the meditation. So I hope that uh, you're getting a little sense of the richness of thinking. There are people who, when we, I teach mindfulness of thinking, don't have a clue what I'm talking about. There's some ways in which some people are involved in their thoughts are definitely thinking, but it's so part of their, you know, so they say that the saying that the fish doesn't seem to see the water it swims through. Some people don't see that thinking that they swim with that's always there and and everything is seen through thinking 
And so the idea of being able to turn around to see thinking is doesn't work because seeing is through thinking. Um, and there's many relationships people have with thinking. And one of the fascinating aspects of mindfulness in, is in with all these parts that I've been talking about is how we learn about ourselves in the process, learn how we're involved in the world, how we react to the world, how we, the desires we have, the things we're attached to, the things we have aversion to, we turn away from, things we don't want. And we can start seeing this, much more sensitive to this, as we tune into our body, to our breathing, to our body sensations, to our emotions, and to our thinking. Uh, they give us, uh, you know, a heightened sensitivity to these areas of our life. It corresponds to a heightened sensitivity to how we're how we're reacting and, and again involving ourselves in the world. And that reactivity involvement has a lot to do with how we suffer, how we feel stress, how we feel de-stress, how we feel dis-ease. And so to begin seeing that we're involved with things and wanting things or pushing things away or attached to things, becoming more and more sensitive to it in a meditative way, which means with an awareness that's not for or against, doesn't condemn anything, not in conflict with anything, but is curious to get to know it better, to look at it more carefully. Oh, this is what it's like to be attached. This is what it's like to be really caught up in my thoughts and pulled into them and like a gravitational field that we keep getting pulled into. And we start seeing more and more what's going on. Uh, and we start seeing the different dynamics of our psychology and our emotional life and our physical life. And as we see more and more, at some point we see places of choice. We see that we have some choice whether we keep thinking something some choice whether we keep um, despairing over something or wanting something or pushing something away. or uh, We have choice about whether to hold on to something or let it go. Uh, early on in my meditation practice, I had a lot of physical pain. And I discovered that um, when I had self-pity and I felt so sorry for myself for having the pain, that um, the pain would get worse. But if I let go of the self-pity, the pain would get slightly better. And I, had, I saw that I had a choice. I could sink into collapse into self-pity, or I could not do that. And because it made a difference on the pain level, I chose not to succumb to the self-pity. Before I saw that, I, I had no idea that I was collapsing into, or in a, in a sense, kind of choosing to be involved with self-pity. I just thought it was just the nature of the universe. It was like some truth. This is how it is. And I didn't have no way of thinking it should be any different. It just, and it had certain authority to self-pity. Oh, it's really true that I'm a poor lost soul or something. But when I saw this very close connection to the pain and how it got stronger or weaker depending how I was involved with self-pity, I started seeing I had a choice. And this idea of choice around thinking I use a lot if I'm going about my day and uh, and I f- notice what I'm thinking and I feel my thought train is not so useful and uh, I'll stop thinking that. This is not useful. I'll let go. Sometimes I'll, you know, like if, I, if I'm driving um, and I might think, I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to think about the Dharma talk I'm going to give and what would I like to think about or I'm going to think about what I'm going to go shopping and what I'm going to buy for my family. And so this idea of choosing and having the flexibility and the freedom to see thoughts, to notice what they're doing, and to not be so wedded to them or gripped by them, to relax and be able to have some choice. The idea of choice is really important one if we want to live a more peaceful life, if we want to live a life that's less in conflict, less caught up and, and agitated and afraid or... Uh, you know, angry or resentful all the time. And um, and to see where that moment of choice is. People who don't see the place of choice don't have a choice. And so then something else is in control. 
But as mindfulness gets stronger and stronger, and we're more and more present for the moment-to-moment unfolding of our experience, we'll see more and more places of choice about what we can choose. And this has something to do also with thinking. And a lot of our attachments are in relationship to thinking. A lot of the compulsivity of wanting and grabbing and pushing away has to do with uh, related to the energies we have around thinking, with the ideas we hold on to. And so this mindfulness of thinking can be revolutionary if we can learn it. It takes a while. You don't want to be in a hurry. But to turn and look at thinking and get to know it better, see what's going on there. Um, <clears throat> I had this um, little image that came up many years ago <clears throat> that uh, was kind of very nice for me in relationship to thinking. I had this image that I imagined that um, I was an astronaut that had been sent off into space, far deep into space. <clears throat> and deep in space, there was a thought floating around. Somehow a thought had escaped someone's skull, ex- escaped their atmosphere, and was floating around. And no one had ever actually seen a thought before. We'd perceived them in the mind's eye, or heard them or something, but actually the, no one ever seen the shape of a thought, the weight of a thought, the color of a thought. <clears throat> and um, it was a, this astronaut was the first time to see what a thought looks like. And it would just be amazing. It was like there may be kind of like the first photograph of the earth from the moon or from, you see the earth kind of as this beautiful globe uh, floating in space. So seeing a thought floating in space and this amazement I imagined would not depend on what the thought was. The content of the thought wasn't so important. It could have been an awful thought, it could be a beautiful thought, but just the fact that of a thought, wow, And that little imagery that I had for myself helped free me from the content of what I was thinking, the storyline of my thoughts. It helped me to back up a little bit and just kind of observe, oh, it's thinking is happening. Isn't this amazing, all this thought? If I'm thinking about what to have for dinner, there were a few times I said to myself, wow, five billion years of evolution and it's come to this a mind which is thinking about dinner. Wow, isn't that amazing? And so this idea of kind of being amazed or, or, or of just the process, just the phenomena of thinking, as opposed to getting sucked in to the story, sucked into the content, the idea that the thought has. That's a little bit of a choice. Where do we put ourselves? We put ourselves in the story Or do we step back and see, oh, here's thinking. Here's a person thinking about dinner. This is dinner thoughts. But not to be involved in them, but just see, oh, wow, it's just thinking, energy of thinking, pressure to think, these kinds of things. And so this idea of being amazed as opposed to being despairing. It's not uncommon for some meditators to really think that the purpose of meditation is not to think, and just stay focused and concentrate on the breathing or something. And that tends to create challenge and, and tends to create a negative relationship with thinking. And my hope is with mindfulness meditation, uh, people develop a friendly relationship with thinking. Not necessarily positive in the sense that thinking is all good and we should be thinking, but rather just friendly towards it and take it or leave it. Have the freedom to know when it's useful to think and when we can leave it alone and not get involved. So this have that choice and that ability to go back and forth one way or the other. And then um, <clears throat> the other thing that uh, can be interesting to do with uh, your thinking is um, be prepared, kind of plan ahead a little bit to be alert for this. When you notice that you've really been pulled into some kind of black hole of thinking, you've really pulled in, you've been lost in your thoughts for some time, and you finally wake up and realize what's happening, don't do anything particular except notice what that was like. 
Notice what your awareness was like in that state. Notice what your uh, body was like and what your sense of presence was like. What was it like to be in that black hole of thinking? Some people report that uh, it just feels like everything went dark. Some people feel everything got kind of narrow and small and contracted. What was that like? Some people say that it was, you know, the body could feel a tension in their body and their shoulders or someplace when they were really caught up in that. In a friendly way, just get to know better the experience, what it was like to get lost in thought. And that does a number of things. One, it's educational. Another is that it's, um, uh, we start seeing and feeling, knowing what that experience is like, so we're more likely to catch it earlier, see it coming even, so we don't so easily get swept up in it. But also what we can learn, part of the education, is we can learn how getting caught up and preoccupied in thoughts, lost in thought, is a kind of diminishment of ourselves. <clears throat> Not all of us is present. And that to be attentive, to be mindful in a full, present way is actually nicer. It's actually, we're fuller, more of ourself is here. And sometimes just seeing that contrast very clearly, it makes it easier to choose to be mindful, to be present. Not as an aversion, not as a, as a pushing away of anything. It's just moving towards where it's most peaceful or most pleasant, most enjoyable. Coming back here, present. So, mindfulness of thinking. So, uh, we have about maybe a little more than 10 minutes left in this hour. And uh, we haven't, usually when I do intro course, I take questions quite a bit from people and this format's a little bit hard. But we could try if you're up for it. I could try to answer some questions about what I've talked about so far uh, with any part of the instructions, and, but also about thinking and any challenges you have or any clarification you'd like. And So if some of you uh, would be able to type it in the chat. I will try to, uh, we'll see, experiment together and see how well this works for, um, and I'm happy to try to try to respond to some of the questions you might have. And maybe it takes a little while for the whole connection to come and go. Ah, what if you have to sneeze? What a great question. So, um, you can sneeze. You're welcome to. There's no prohibition from sneezing. If you're meditating with other people, then of course, uh, cover your mouth in some good way. Not with your hand, but, you know, sneeze into your elbow or something. But um, the... um, uh, something like a sneeze is also an opportunity. And if you're inspired by the opportunity, it's not a duty, what you can do is to bring a lot of mindfulness to the sneeze, to the to impulse to sneeze. And maybe it's pretty uncomfortable. And, and rather than giving into it automatically, see if you can just bring a lot of attention to the sensations of the nose or wherever it is that's kind of the, the pressure to sneeze is. Feel the pressure and just kind of feel the physicality and the emotions and the thoughts all connected to the sneeze and hang out with it and stay with it as long as you feel like you're interested and feel like this you're up for the challenge. And, um, and it, it's a wonderful thing to learn a few things, to develop some concentration, to learn how uh, not to give in to the impulses we have, it's not just the impulse to sneeze, but the impulse to give in to the sneeze. And, um, and also, uh, we learn how to be with discomfort. To learn how to be present with discomfort in a mindful way without being troubled by it is part of the art and benefit of this practice. So, that's one. So those what two things you can do with a sneeze or other people with an itch. So, let's see what we have here. Now, thank you for so many of you asking questions. And... Um, is mental noting the same as the thought we are to rec- the thoughts we are to recognize? Now, that's nice. 
I think it becomes a little bit uh, endless loop that way. Um, uh, I think that you just keep it simple. If you use mental noting to note what's happening in the moment, but don't really turn around and note the note. Um, you know, I think that then it's like, you know, you could, infinite regress or something. You keep doing that. Just keep it simple. Just use the noting to help you recognize and be present for what's going on in a nice way and leave it at that. Um, the uh, After doing a lot of... Um, let's see. Yeah, it's a lot of concentration work, I find mindfulness is quite a task, sometimes unsettling. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. Um, if um, sometimes uh, the very concentrated mind is very calm and peaceful, and if we switch over to mindfulness, and mindfulness is an activity that we do, it seems like a prescription, okay, now I'm going to be mindful, and and uh, we're applying ourselves too much with mindfulness. Maybe even using the mental notes is too much. It's work. Then it can be tiring and uh, unsettling even. So if the, if the mind has gotten still and quiet through concentration, then see if there's some way to be aware rather than, rather than mindful. Just be aware in a relaxed way how things unfold um, in, um, uh, in the state of awareness. You know, don't, don't make awareness a work. It's almost like uh, uh, it's the fruit of strong concentration, awareness relaxing an awareness and opening an awareness to things arising and passing and just how that, whatever way reality is, um, is almost like the vacation you get from having done concentration. How to deal with continual comparing mind. It's relentless. Yes, it can be that way. So a few things. Uh, One thing to do, which is not necessarily mindfulness, but can somehow break the energy or the, the hold on it, is to uh, feel, uh, let the, uh, if it's relentless and ongoing, this comparing mind, let it break your heart. Feel this, feel the suffering of that and the, how unfortunate it is to live a life that way. And sometimes just like letting it break your heart is enough to kind of, you know, breaks the dam and let something settle. Uh, another thing to do is, um, is with the comparing mind, is to do the mindfulness of comparing mind. Um, but don't analyze the comparisons and why you do it and what happened to you in your life that you should be so comparing. Just kind of be very simple, aware of comparing, but notice in particular the suffering or the stress or de- distress that comes with that comparing mind. Feel how it's a drag to do it. And sometimes... Um, it's only when we feel really feel fully the cost of what the mind is doing that we begin letting up. Okay, this is not worth it. Whatever promise and whatever I'm trying to accomplish through comparing mind, I'm not accomplishing it, and it's not really helping. In fact, it's kind of a drag. And sometimes it's only when we see the, how, how, un- how uncomfortable it makes us, the downside of it, that the mind begins willing to let go and relax. And I've known people who've done that with anger. Uh, that the more mindful they, bec- mindful they become, they start seeing the tremendous personal cost of anger that they'd never seen when they were consumed with anger and was all outwardly directed. They're wrong, they're bad. And the focus was externally. But when the attention gets turned around internally and 180 degrees and feel here, wow, this is rather unfortunate that I should be harming myself this much with my anger. Uh, do you have any advice on how to practice watching thoughts without getting caught in them? I think if you keep getting caught while you're watching them, even if you use the, me- sometimes the mental noting, thinking, thinking, or if you need to have a bigger mental note like, this is thinking, or yeah, uh, that is thinking, uh, that can sometimes create distance and uh, not be so easily qu- caught in it. And especially if you get into a relaxed rhythm of saying, well, thinking, thinking, that can allow you to watch it and not get caught. But it also, it may be sometimes just counterproductive to try to be focused on thinking. 
Sometimes if it's really caught up in thoughts a lot, it might be nice to do a little bit of a concentration practice, uh, counting your breaths. And sometimes just diligently counting your breaths from 1 to 10. If you lose count, just start again at 1. Don't worry about it. If you get to 32 before you notice that you've gone beyond 10, just start again at 1. And, uh, and I've, when I've counted the breath, I tend to count um, uh, the inhale and the exhale with the same count. So 1, 1. But the exhale, I do the whole exhale with a count. 1. The inhale is more like I imagine I'm saying 1. And then 2. And just kind of really use the count to help you get concentrated and settled. And that sometimes can break the sticky glue or the tensity of the thinking. So then once you're calmer, then you can be mindful of thinking without getting caught in it. Any tips for not falling down a rabbit hole of thoughts? I think that um, the uh, maybe the same thing I just said now. Uh, just keep, if you practice simple mindfulness of breathing as your primary meditation object and really dedicate yourself to that and begin to develop a little bit of concentration and help use that practice to help you relax, that with time your mind will become stronger than your thoughts. Every time a thought arises, let go. Come back to your thoughts, to, uh, to your breathing. Um, that kind of very simple, very simple practice uh, sometimes is some, one of the best strategies with um, uh, you know being pulled too readily into thoughts and being lost in that. Um, I've been struggling with how to be aware of my body and yet feeling myself taken over by my hypochondria. How do the two awarenesses interrelate? Well, thank you. That's great. There is a, um, if I understand, if I can address your question appropriately, and do this way, that um, there, there is a kind of uh, two things that look very similar. Awareness of ourselves, awareness of our body, our breathing, and all this stuff, and being self-conscious about it. And some people confuse awareness with being self-conscious. Self-conscious is, involves fear, involves um, um, sometimes conceit, involves other things besides being aware. And so hypochondria, I think, uh, is a kind of fear. And, um, and that fear about what we're paying attention to. And so to really, so one of, you know, it's, it's, that is not, that kind of self-consciousness is not awareness. Awareness has no agenda. Awareness by itself is not for or against anything. Awareness in and of itself is not afraid of anything, is not angry at anything. Awareness just knows, just aware, makes space for things. That's kind of like where we're going eventually with the practice. But to get there, we have to learn a lot about the tricks of the mind, and a lot, lot about ourselves, what actually goes on in here. And that's why we keep emphasizing mindfulness. Just recognize what's happening. Recognize what's happening. So I very much appreciate what you just said about uh, hypochondria. Uh, the fact that you're seeing that this is what goes on, you're on the right track. And uh, see it better. Get, get more familiar with how this works. Uh, and the more and more familiar, the more, time, more times you see it, uh, I would venture, I'm pretty confident that the more you can see it, the more you're familiar with how this phenomena works, the more you'll become free of it. And uh, it eases up and becomes lighter until a time comes where you see the choice of which direction to go. So I'll do maybe one more here. I'm just kind of following them in sequence, and I I appreciate that people ask questions very very much. Um, is being in the present not also thinking that you are in the present? Um, it can be. Uh, we have different uh, capacities for attention. Like there's a there's a family of faculties that human beings have that help them be aware or attentive to the present moment. 
So we have our physical sensations. If you feel sensations on your body, uh, sensations in your body are always happening in the present. However, those sensations, feeling them, doesn't require a thought to know that you're present. It doesn't require a thought that to be aware of those in the present moment. So you can be aware of them silently. And uh, uh, a sound, you can be aware of the sound with a mind that doesn't tell itself, oh, now I'm present with the sound. If you... Um, so the, there can be a present moment awareness also without the thought, now I'm aware, now I'm present. If we spend too much time saying, now I'm present, now I'm present, we're not really that present, or the, pre- the way of being present becomes kind of limited by this little statement going over and over and over again. So it's fine to have some simple occasional thoughts, oh, now I'm present, this is good, I'm finally arrived, I'm here. I'm not wandering off so much. That's a you know innocent enough, simple enough thought to have. But uh, don't then start thinking about it more or repeating that. Use that ability to be present, maybe to open to more, have more of the silent awareness that we're capable of. The silent perceiving of phenomena. The silent, spacious awareness of breathing in the body. Something like that. So, um, thank you, and um, and uh, so we have two more days on this inst- uh, mindfulness, uh, and I, I really appreciated this, so maybe this next two days, and in the last ten minutes or so, in the same way, we can take some questions, and um, and then uh, tomorrow I'll kind of kind of present this, what I've done over these days, in one big kind of overview, and also begin talking about uh, how we can develop this mindfulness practice further and the different ways of strengthening, developing it, and growing in it. So, um, thank you, and I look forward to our time tomorrow.